So there are things in my life at 50 that I picked up when I was 22 that I'm really grateful for. Welcome to Midlife Mixtape, the podcast. I'm Nancy Davis Coe, and we're here to talk about the years between being hip and breaking one. Where do I belong? Tell me why I'm here and what's taking this long. When can I move on? The presenting sponsor of the Midlife Mixtape podcast is Golden Voice. Golden Voice presents LaRue in concert at the Regency Ballroom in San Francisco on March 23rd, 2020. Plan ahead, folks. Here's something I like to do when I hear a new song. Do you guys do this? I squinch up my eyes and I try to hear who it reminds me of from the 80s and 90s band that I store in my brain encyclopedia. It's a really good anti-aging exercise for your brain because it forces you to make connections, but I don't I don't recommend it when you're driving. I try not to do it then. Anyway, of course, it's not always possible to make a direct connection, but the first time I heard the song Bulletproof by British synth-pop band LaRue, I nailed it. You Spin Me Right Round by Dead or Alive. It's got that same upbeat synthy vibe as Dead or Alive, so if you're looking to recapture that 80s dance floor energy in a new century, I encourage you to check out LaRue on March 23rd at the Regency. For more information, go to goldenvoice.com. That's goldenvoice.com. And while you're over there, make sure to sign up for their newsletter. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Midlife Mixtape Podcast. And thanks so much for tuning into the show that contemplates what midlife feels like for those of us whose youth spanned the era from pet rocks to grunge rock. Thankfully, we're not quite at rocking chairs yet. I'm your host, Nancy, and we're going to get right into things today. But before we do, I wanted to ask you to stay tuned all the way to the end of today's episode because there's a bit of an announcement to share and I don't want you to miss it. So today is my book's birthday. The Thank You Project, Cultivating Happiness, One Letter of Gratitude at a Time is available on bookstore shelves and online everywhere as of this morning. So I decided to turn the tables and switch seats with my friend, author and interviewer extraordinaire, Mary Laura Philpot. I interviewed Mary Laura in episode 52 about her wonderful 2019 memoir and essays that's called I Miss You When I Blink. So if you haven't read that one and are in search of a funny, poignant read about midlife, makes a great holiday gift too, make sure you check out the interview and her book. Besides being an author, Mary Laura is an Emmy Award-winning co-host of A Word on Words, a literary interview show on Nashville Public Television. Even so, it kind of freaked me out to relinquish control of the interviewer slot, but I'm glad I did. So I guess this is the part where I introduce myself as today's guest, which feels hella awkward. I, Nancy Davis Coe, am a freelance writer whose work has appeared in the Washington Post, the San Francisco Chronicle, Us Magazine, The Rumpus, and The Toast. I've been recognized as a voice of the year in the humor category by Blog Her, and I was the inaugural champion of Oakland's literary deathmatch. I don't have the prize belt to prove it, but I swear it happened. I cover the years between being hip and breaking one on midlifemixtape.com and on the Midlife Mixtape podcast. Here we are. So let's do this. Here I go with Mary Laura Philpot. Mary Laura, I don't know if I welcome you or you welcome me. How is this going to work? (laughs) I am the captain now, Nancy. (laughs) I'm going to start this. You get in the guest chair. I'm nervous about this, honestly. Like my palms are sweating right now. The tables have turned. Okay. I'm used to being in control, and that's a good feeling. Okay, you go. You're not. I'm Mary Laura Philpot. Hello, listeners. I'm the author of the memoir and essays, I Miss You When I Blink. And today I have taken over 
Nancy's podcast, Midlife Mixtape. I've wrestled the controls out of her hands and I've put her in the guest seat. So here we are. Also, I will I will go ahead and mention if you hear exciting sounds in the background that there are home repairs happening in my house right now. So fantastic! That hammering is uh, is not someone like trying to break the wall down to get to me. They're just you're not just whipping up a quick bookshelf while we talk. <laughs> yes, no, that's what I'm doing. Totally. Hold on a um, sec. I'm installing a kitchen counter. <laughs> exactly. So Nancy, this is this is my vision for this conversation. I feel like you are going to have. So many conversations coming up over the next few months where people are asking you about this book and asking you about your work on the Thank You Project and and everything else that you do. So I want this to be sort of your practice because you know me, I know you. I'm going to let you sort of test out some of your answers on me. How about that? Okay, that sounds good. Okay. So I have a way that I like to start interviews with people who have just written their first book. And it's actually meant to sort of help you get your elevator pitch ready. Not that you're pitching this book to anybody at this point, but you're about to be asked a million times to describe your book in a nutshell. So here's your chance to practice it. Nancy, give me the fourth grade book report version of this book. <laughs> like, like my name is Nancy and my book is, and it's about, go. Okay. My name is Nancy and... I wrote a book called The Thank You Project, and it's about a year that I spent writing thank you letters to 50 people who had helped or shaped or inspired me up until that point in my life. And it turned out to be a really gratifying and persistent way to create more happiness in my life and the lives of the people who received the letters. How was that? Oh, that's perfect. Okay. Okay. You've been practicing, haven't you? Have you been practicing? Well, I've been sniffing glue sticks is what I've been doing, but you know. Fourth grade, if we're being honest. That's excellent. (laughs) You're ready. Okay, so let's talk about this book. The year you did this note writing project, Mm -hmm. the thank you note writing project, was Mm -hmm. the year you turned 50, right? That's right. Okay. What was it about 50? What were you feeling or needing or wanting at that moment in your life that made you turn to this gratitude exercise? Let me take a step back because I think this is interesting for people at midlife who are worried about trying new things or, you know, Mm -hmm. trying something that doesn't work out. What had happened was I wrote what I called my midlife music crisis book. So this was all... This was all triggered by the time I went to a vampire weekend concert and the bouncer asked me if I was there to drop off my kids. And I was like, well, what, what? Oh, bless. It was, yeah, well, you are from the South. Oh, bless your heart. So um, I thought, well, my God, I can't, what am I not supposed to go to concerts anymore? What do I do? So I spent a year trying all this different kind of music and I wrote what I still think was a pretty funny memoir. The problem mm-hmm. was there wasn't a lot of character development because as one of my blessed, very, very honest early readers said to me, what? You started off wanting to go to concerts, you ended going to concerts. Like, where was oh, the yeah. conflict? So I had an agent and we sent it out to publishers and it didn't get mm-hmm. picked up. And it was, you know, I felt sad That's about hard. that because yeah. I had put three years into it. So I was really down about it. Yeah. And finally, mm-hmm. I just was new. I just was stuck on it. And then finally, one day I was like, Oh, wait a minute. The reason my memoir didn't sell is because I'm too happy. <laughs> like I didn't really encounter a problem. It was not a music. It was not a midlife crisis. Right. And and that was as I was coming to the end of 2015. And I 
um, I was going to be turning 50 the next year. And I was like, you know what? I'm really lucky. I'm so fortunate. And so what I'm going to do for this year, it did, it felt very important to me to acknowledge that milestone by Mm -hmm. thinking about how other people had helped me get there. So I think I was just really reflective and also trying to convert something that had been sad to me before and felt like a failure and turn it into something empowering. So that's where the letter started. God, I love that. I mean, I, I feel like every every writer I know has, you know, that book or many books that are in a drawer or didn't quite get lift off. And I mean, that can turn you bitter if you're not careful. But I love that you that you looked at it and went, oh, maybe I'm just so happy <laughs> that, I can, you know, I'm just too, I'm in too good of a place. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's not bad that you're, you know, you didn't have enough crisis or conflict in your life to get a memoir out of it. That's not a bad thing. The other thing, by the way, is I was, I had really spent a lot of time and honed that book. And I mm-hmm. was like, I'm going to be damned if nothing comes out of this in a written format, because that was kind of the place where I crystallized this idea that Gen X is going to have a different midlife than the boomers did and the millennials will, that we've got kind of a a special way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to write one essay. I'm going to take, I'm going to say that was 75,000 words, and I'm going to whittle it down to 1500 words and submit it to tonight, T-U-E-N-I-G-H-D.com. And I wrote that essay about Gen X and midlife. And Mm -hmm. it was the response, it got a really, really positive response. And people said, Nobody talks about Gen X at midlife. It would be so great to hear more stories. And I'm like, oh, I know a way I could do more stories. I could have a podcast. So yeah. that was the other thing that came out of it. That's wonderful. Yeah. Whenever I have people on and we talk about things that felt like failure at the time that turned out to be really important stepping mm-hmm. stones, that's that's my failed midlife music crisis book. That's so good to hear. Did Did any of the text from that book end up in your new book? Were there any sentences or paragraphs that you harvested? No, I don't think so. I I actually think it might be interesting to go back to that book and figure out something else I could do with it, but I'm not Mm -hmm. sure what that thing Mm -hmm. is. I do want to, to be clear, I want to talk about this as well. So, you know, you were 50 in the, the year that you undertook this exercise, but this, the exercise of writing thank you notes to people, and indeed this book itself, they're not just for people at midlife. If you're listening no. to this podcast and you're wondering if you should buy copies of this book for everyone you know from ages 20 to 80 for Christmas, the answer is yes. Um, <laughs> go do that, everybody. Can you imagine having undertaken this project at a different time in your life, like when you were, say, 30? I can, because I think, and I tried to say this in the book, yeah, I mean, I did, I wrote it for my 50th, but I think there are different milestones or different bridges we come to in our lives where it is helpful to look back. Because so I, I want to say a couple a couple things. So I, I went into this, as you know, saying, oh my gosh, I'm really fortunate. Everything's so great. Well, you tell the universe everything's great in your life and the universe is like, oh, here's a person who's got some capacity for suffering right now. Right. So, right. Let's balance that out. Right. So it ended up being a very hard year. My dad died suddenly. Um, mm-hmm. Our oldest daughter left for college, which is not a sad thing, but it was a big adjustment. And hard. yeah, and it was three weeks after my dad's funeral. And, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, there was a really contentious presidential election because it was 2016. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you guys remember that. I remember. So it was a really hard year and I felt anxious a lot. I felt grief a lot. There were some very low moments that year, but... I could sit down and write a thank you letter to somebody and I would immediately have what I learned. And and this was, I got to totally nerd out on the science around it, but mm-hmm. it's 
it, gratitude is a really effective way of resetting your nervous system. And you can get this phenomenon called elevation where your, your chest fills with warmth and your shoulders lower. And it really, the, an expression of gratitude really has a helpful way of working on your anxiety levels, ner- your nervous system. Mm-hmm. And every week when I wrote a letter, I would experience that. And so that's why I think it's pretty evergreen because 50-year-olds don't have a monopoly on suffering. Yeah, And yeah. I think using gratitude as a way of coping with the anxieties and stresses of modern life is really effective. I also think it was such a helpful exercise in reminding me of how connected I am in the community and the world and, you know, all these people with whom I've crossed paths that some are still in my life, some aren't, but, you know, there's always someone around. And I worry so much about younger people and the way we've gotten so isolated with devices and how alone people feel. And this is a way to remind yourself to remind yourself that you're not alone and also to strengthen the relationships that you have. Yeah. And practice connecting with people. Yes. I want to get, I, w- I want to give this book to my teenagers this year at Christmas because I feel like they are at an age, you know, they're, they're still in formative years. They can mm-hmm. still form habits that might stick with them. And I want them to practice, first of all, thanking people. Um, right. But I want them to practice the letter writing and the connecting and the thinking about other people and how they've affected your lives and and reaching out and forming that bond. I feel like this would be such a great book for teenagers. As well, well as I was super gratified. One of my early readers has uh, kids who are a freshman in college and a high school, I think, sophomore. And mm-hmm. having read the book, she told her son, who at that point was was about to graduate high school, to write thank you letters to his teachers. She, you know, she mm-hmm. said, "I really thought about your book," and I told him I thought it would be a good thing for him to do. And she let me know that he came to her afterward and said. I have changed so much in four years of high school, and I could not have gotten through high school without these teachers. He said, I never realized how much they helped me. And I like I started crying because I'm like, yes, yeah. that's exactly it. And what a great thing to instill at a young age. So yes, right. I hope, well, your teens aren't going to enjoy any of the 80s references in the book, but <laughs> you can explain that's it fine. to them. Yes. Do you wish you had started doing this earlier? Like, do you, regret is an interesting thing to talk about, but do you regret not writing these letters earlier? That's a good question. I don't think I regret it because you only know what you know when you know it. But yep, I yep. can think of times in my life where I would have been helped by doing this earlier. There mm-hmm. were certain periods where I could have done with more connection and more reflection and more get your head out of your ass. You have a lot of great things going on around you. <laughs> I get and I get asked that was a Tuesday. Lot. <laughs> <laughs> and that was yesterday. I get asked a lot about about my book. Like what if could you have written it a decade ago? And I feel like the answer is is always very meta because it's like, well, first of all, I couldn't have written it a decade ago because it's about things that were still happening a decade ago. But also, right. if I could have learned the lessons I learned through the experience I was living in the past decade at an earlier age, I wouldn't have gone through that same life trajectory and I wouldn't have needed a book like this. And then I wouldn't have, you know, not found it and then written it myself. So it's sort of, right. it's a weird rabbit hole to go down the whole, like, what if I had done but all thanks this? But right thanks for inviting me in. Yeah. Yeah. If I have to be here, you have to be here. Um, <laughs> one of the things I love about this book is that it is, it's such a delightful blend of narrative. Like you have stories in here. It's, it's memoiristic in some ways. And also it's got a kind of a how-to 
element to it, a self-improvement element to it. And I think there's a whole extra dimension of benefit to be gained by actually reading this book versus just skipping to the takeaway advice and going, okay, so Nancy says I should write thank you notes. Got it. And I remember thinking I wanted to put that into words when you asked me to blurb the book because I wanted people to not just grasp the concept and go, yeah, I get it, but to really read it because your voice and your storytelling, it makes me get it on a whole deeper level, the the variety of ways that this exercise could change my life. Well, thank you. It, well, I just I just think it's a lovely blend. I love when people don't try to stick to one particular format and go, well, everybody does this like this, so that's what I have to do. What were your thoughts about format as you were starting this project as a book? Did you consider going like straight up how-to and including less of the narrative stuff? Or where was your mind back when you were beginning? I had had a conversation with someone at a party once who, about a year after, I, um, after I think by then I was 51, and she had heard that I'd written these letters. And she sat me down at this party and said, okay, so how did you do it? Who did you write to? How did you decide what to write? How did you organize? And she asked me all these questions. I'm like, dude, it's totally self-explanatory. But the longer we talked, I was like, well, maybe it isn't self-explanatory. Okay. So I knew going into it that I just wanted to lay it out really clearly. This is how I did it. And throughout the book, and I say this, <laughs> I, I this is what I did this is not what you have to do. And I worked really hard to bring in other people's perspectives. I was able to find a few other people, including past midlife mixtape guest, Kathy Valentine, bassist for the Go-Go's, who wrote thank you letters to a whole bunch of people. How, you know, how fortuitous was that, that I already knew Kathy. So I tried to include a lot of examples, first of all, just to really take away any kind of judgment so that people reading this won't say, I don't have time to write a letter a week. Great. You don't have to. You write whatever works for you. So I I felt like it would be helpful for people to, if I at least said, though, this is what I included in the letters, this is how Mm -hmm. I organized for them, this is how, you know, I sort of uh, prepared to write them. Because a lot of the work, and actually a lot of the benefit of the gratitude letters is thinking about what's going to go into them, because you're already, you know, activating all of the good parts of neuroscience for your brain, just thinking about what you might want to put in a thank you letter to somebody. With regard to the stories, I just, so that's kind of how it's structured. There's the, here's how you do it. And then the whole rest of the book, the bulk of the book is here's categories of people you might want to write to. And I just thought, I hoped, I hope that it will be a helpful way way for people to say, oh, she wrote to her aunt. Well, I'm not going to write to my aunt, but I have an uncle, you know, who this reminds me of. And, you know, so I tried to cast the, the net really wide too, beyond even who I had actually written to. I tried to think really hard about who are kinds of people that other people might want to write to. So I just tried to pepper it with as much food for thought, as much sort of like jumping off points for people to think about what does this look like in my own life? Well, you did. And you set a good example for that because it made me think about, I think if someone had just said to me, make a list of 50 people you should write thank you notes to, I would have come up with a lot of really obvious ones, like important teachers in my life and family members. And I might have thrown in a couple of quirky ones just because I'm weird. But I don't know. I I don't know that I would have thought deeper and more creatively about people. Like you you talk about writing letters to people that you're not actually going to send these letters, Mm -hmm. but it is important to go through the thought process of being grateful for things that people taught you. Can you can you talk about maybe one example of a someone who you might write a letter that isn't sent? Sure. Well, it's hard to get a letter to Jane Austen because she did. <laughs> um, 
but by the time I wrote that letter, so what, you know, and I, and I recommend you start off with the actual people who, you know, and we'll send a letter to your friends and family because that, yeah, start with the easy ones. And I think that kind of gets the, gets the muscle in shape and you kind of start figuring out, okay, this is what I need to put in a letter. And this is the kind of thing Mm -hmm. that I want to say. But as you go through the process, it does, and again, this comes back to research, but it gets easier and easier to find things to be grateful for. So that was, that to me was when the project totally opened up was when I was like, wait a minute, I don't have to send the letters. So I could mail, I could write letters to people who I'm no longer in touch with. And I could write to people who are no longer alive and I can write to concepts. So by the end, I was like, I'm writing to the live music industry. I'm writing to the city of Oakland. So one of the letters that I didn't mail and there was nobody to mail it to was the city of Munich. So I moved to Germany when I was 22 and I was so smart. I knew everything. And it was like, (laughs) as we all do, crazy (laughs) risky thing to do. It was totally dumb. Oh my God. But it was the place where I learned to be a grown up. It's the place where I became independent and you know, I'd lo- I love my whole goal as a teenager was to move to Europe. I really just wanted to live okay. in a different country. And, you know, the fact that it actually happened and the fact that I grew up so much during that time, I'm always like, I'm really indebted to the city of Munich because it shaped me as a young adult. And I don't know who I'd send it. The Burgermeister might want it, I guess, but um, who am I going <laughs> to send that to? Yeah. Even so, I was, it was fun to write it and think about the time I spent there and what I took away from it and how, I, you know, in all these letters, I, I talk about, think about how you are now and what is the, you know, aside from the fact that I'm a real snob about beer and pretzels, but I'm really <laughs> curious about people who come from here from other countries because I know what it feels like to do that and how brave it is to do that. And I keep up with, you know, I keep up with the political stuff going on there because it feels very much like a like a dear cousin that I want to keep track of, you know. So there are things in my life at 50 that I picked up when I was 22 that I'm really grateful for. You know, earlier when we were chatting, you mentioned the, the science of all this, the science mm-hmm. of going through gratitude. You get the benefits of all that, even if you don't send the letter, right? That's exactly right. That was the that was the cool thing to realize. So we have right up the road in Berkeley at uh, UC Berkeley, we have the Greater Good Science Center, which studies the positive psychology and the science of well being. So I got to dig into their research and interview a couple of their senior fellows and. Yeah, you don't have to write a letter to reap the benefits of this gratitude practice. If you are simply thinking positive, grateful thoughts to somebody who's had a positive impact on your life, you're already, the the phrase the researchers use is the neurons that fire together, wire together. So in other words, you can train your brain to look for positive things by looking for positive things. So so cool. Yeah. And I tried to make that clear too in the letter because everybody's busy and some people, maybe they don't want to write the letters, but just going through the process of thinking about the letters can already have positive impacts on you. So just thinking about Germany and how much it meant Mm -hmm. to you was making your brain look at life in a more grateful way. Right. And thinking and thinking every week, okay, I'm going to write a letter this week. Who's it going to be to? Well, let me look around and figure out You know, so it, it you really are kind of challenging yourself every week, in my case, to to look around and find the positive thing. There was one woman who I interviewed who did a gratitude project where she wrote a hundred letters in a hundred days. 
And Holy smokes. I know. That felt like a lot to me. For her, it was perfect. <laughs> yeah. And she said it was great because she, she she reached the same panic point I did, like, oh, God, I don't know anybody else to write a letter to. But then you get creative. And in her case, she had to do it a lot faster. And you mm-hmm. think, okay, who's somebody who positively impacted my life today? And the example she gave me was that she's a runner. She'd broken her foot. And she had a plastic boot on her foot that was enabling her to get around. And she, she wrote a letter to the guy who developed the plastic boot. That is awesome. Yeah. So, so it really works. I mean, mm-hmm. it, training yourself to think more gratefully does work. Because, I mean, you know, if you yep. were doing, if she was doing this for 100 days and you were doing this for every week, you do have to get faster at, at thinking things up because you run out of obvious examples pretty quick. Right. I have a writing question for you. Okay. If we can get... Um, crafty? As the Beastie Boys would say. Crafty. <gasps> We went to the same song at the same time. Of course we did. (laughs) Midlife mixtape. Let's talk craft. You have, and I mean, speaking of music, you have such an ear for music. And I wonder if this is not too dorky a question. Do you hear rhythm and melody in words when you are writing? Like, do you hear the sentences that you're typing out loud? I never thought about it, but I absolutely do. Absolutely. I, I, you can tell like, I need a long sentence here. I need a short, punchy sentence here. And I read everything aloud that I write. So one of the last steps in the editing process was to read the book cover to cover out loud in my office to thin air. And I think that's yep. exactly what I'm listening for. I don't know about melody. Yeah. How, how? What is rhythm for sure? I mean, melody, rhythm, but melody, like, and maybe melody is the wrong word. Rhythm, I'm thinking about things like sentence length and sentence structure. Right. When I say melody, which is maybe the wrong word, I'm thinking of things like, I need a word here that has a long vowel versus a short vowel, like sounds. Like word choice though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe I think I do. I never thought of it that way, but I, I absolutely think I do. And that's what I'm listening for when I'm at it. I mean, the shitty first draft is the shitty first draft, but after that you get right, to go in right. and, and kind of try to bring it all into a cohesive... Mm-hmm. Song, I guess, melody, rhythm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of of editing out loud, audiobook. Will there be an audiobook of this book? Yes, Mary Laura Philpot, there will be because Yay! I got it. I was so excited about this. They, uh, yes, they agreed they wanted to do it, and they said, um, you know, do you want to call an audition for it? And I said, how about if you just listen to my podcast because. Yes. You know, yes, I'm I'm a pro at this stuff, dudes. I can do this. So they love they were so nice. They said, "Yeah, you can come in and record it." And this was my favorite part. Can I share this little story? So I, I worked yes. with two great audio engineers and I was glad I had read the book aloud before I turned it in because I didn't come across any errors, which was huge. I was so worried I was going to come across, you know, some major thing I'd missed in copy editing, and I didn't. But when I wrapped it up on the last day, the engineer said, the senior engineer said, oh, you know, there's a band setting up next door, but they were just playing acoustic, so luckily it didn't leak in. And I said, oh, a band, oh. do you say? And he said, yes, do you know Lyrics, <laughs> lyrics Born, which... Lyrics Born is my favorite East Bay rapper. He's what? fantastic. He's well, that'll be the video I include for this episode because he's amazing. His wife performs on stage with him. He's an Asian rapper. He's from the East Bay. Super cool guy. So anyway, I was like, yeah, I love Lyrics Born. And the engineer said, oh, come on in and meet him in the band. And I said, okay. Oh. So I did. And I said, you guys, 
I was just playing your red vinyl best of hits yesterday. I literally have it on the turntable right now because I was playing it yesterday. And they all started laughing and the drummer's like, yeah, this is going to be a good session today. And I thought, this is a peak moment in my publishing career. (laughs) Seriously. I mean, how do you beat that? You can't. You cannot. So I think it comes out the same day as the book. That's what the publisher has told me. I haven't seen anything since, but um, there will be an audiobook and I totally enjoyed writing. Oh, and the other thing is there are playlists at the end of every chapter and the engineer said, go ahead and just riff on, that's not scripted. What I talk about when I'm talking uh-huh. about the playlist, that's just me talking oh. about song choice. So there's, it's kind of an audiobook extra. Bonus material. I love it. I hope people like it. I love it. When I was recording my audiobooks, I live in Nashville. The funny thing was the publisher was like, do you think there are any recording studios near you in town? <laughs> Doubtful. It's like, Very you quiet can't swing town. a cat in Nashville without hitting the <laughs> recording studio. And um, the place where I recorded one day during one of our breaks, the sound engineer, I was asking the sound engineer, like, who have you had in here lately? And he was like, oh, we just finished recording the new album for The Head and the Heart. <gasps> And I was like, oh, that's so great. This must feel just exactly the same to you, <laughs> sitting here with me, reading my memoir into your ear. Um, okay, so normally you ask your guest about their first concert experience, but I'm not going to ask you that because you've already talked about that on your show. You talked about that back when chatting with Martha Quinn. Miss Martha Quinn, the, the MTV interviewer extraordinaire turned the tables on me. So if you want to hear about my first concert, go listen to episode 33. I love that you know the number of the episode. <laughs> I looked it up right before we talked. I'm not going to lie. Do you know how many minutes it comes in that episode? Can you tell them exactly you have to where to listen to scroll? the whole thing, including the pre-roll, people. <laughs> okay. But I have an alternative question, mm. if I may. You kind might. of on that note, kind of tying into what we were what we were chatting about earlier, which is something that I think comes up at, at Midlife a good bit, which is the question of regret. Is there a show you regret not going yes. to? Like something... You yes. had the opportunity to see what? what? Well, give me a minute to get my head off my desk. Okay. Prince, two <gasps> times, not once, two times I didn't go. Once he was playing in San Francisco at the DNA Lounge, which is a tiny, tiny theater, and my best friend, Maria, who goes to a ton of shows with me, offered me a ticket, and I was like, eh. I don't think so. So she went with her husband. Our husbands are always our second choices for concerts, by the way. It's always me and her. And she was so close to Prince that they made eye contact and laughed together. So that, like, that's probably going to be what is on her tombstone because she and Prince had a moment. So that was concert number one that I missed of Prince. I have seen him perform, but I should have gone to that show. The second one he played in Oakland a lot right before he died. He was popping up here all the time at these, he was doing these shows that would get announced, you know, a day ahead. And I take a hip hop class and one morning at hip hop, the teacher said, Hey, I've got an extra ticket to this Prince concert that just got announced. If you want the ticket, come over and talk to me after class. The last song of class ended and a lady beat me over there. She ran faster than I did to get to him. She got the ticket. Prince died a week later. (gasps) So yeah, thanks for asking that question. There's a reason I wear a little Prince pin on my bathrobe each morning because I feel I'm, that is, I try not to regret things, but those two concerts I do regret. Can I tell you something? So I have two concert regrets. One of which is Billy Joel and Elton John together were touring when I was in college and everybody in my hall went to go see the show and I didn't have a lot of money. And I was like, eh, I'm sure they'll play again together soon. And I didn't go and I regret it. 
But my second one is Prince. Oh, you're kidding. You know, he played that show in Atlanta right before he died. Right. And I used to live in Atlanta. I lived in Atlanta until five years ago. And when they when uh, that show was announced, I remember thinking like, oh, should we drive down for it? Like, that would be fun. We could see friends. And then that, you know, just that stupid laziness I took know. over where you start going, oh, but come back. the traffic will be boring. Tom Petty will right. come back. The Beastie Boys will come right. back. David Bowie will come back. I could go on. Yeah. I will go to my grave regretting yeah. not going to that print show in Atlanta. Okay. The other thing you you always ask people as you close out is what one piece of advice do you have for people, people younger than you or for your younger self, if you could go back and give your younger self a piece of advice? This is a very specific piece of advice to Nancy at age 32. I had a, okay. I had a baby and I had also mm-hmm. been in an international business career. You know, when I got out of school, I went, lived in Germany. I got a second degree in international business. I was like a high flyer. I flew, I was always traveling and I loved it had a baby. I will someday show mm-hmm. you the passport picture I took of my newborn who couldn't even hold her head up. I have my thumbs in her passport picture <laughs> because I'm like, I'll just keep going. I'm a gal on the go. I'll just circle the globe with my baby. And my daughter has one of them. Oh my God. What the hell was I thinking? With my hands in it, holding her up. <laughs> so anyway, I had been back. So M- Maddie was a you know, six month old or something. And I was up at, uh, on vacation at family camp, which I write about in the book. That's also one of the letters Mm -hmm. I wrote. And I was, uh, and I had a job as an international product manager and I'd taken the week off. It was all cool, but I had a new boss and this new boss said to me, well, there's a, you know, all hands international staff meeting in the middle of your vacation. You should come back for Mm -hmm. that. And instead of saying, I already took the week off, you guys will be fine without me. I was so determined. I was so convinced how important I was in my organization, how important it was to my career that I could not miss this, that I could not miss this, that I would leave my baby who I was nursing. My dad drove me to Syracuse, which is the closest airport, like an hour and a half, two hour drive at four in the morning. I get on a plane, fly to Washington, leave my baby who's nursing with a bunch, you know, with my family and her dad, but still left her, went to this meeting that was in 100% 100% waste of time. Nothing got accomplished. Yeah. Nothing happened. My flight was delayed going home. It was awful. And at this this old man at family camp, a dear, dear man who you know had been going there and known him forever, he had said to me the day before, he said, oh, Nancy, you think you need to go to this meeting? You do not. And yeah. I look back and I I'm so mad at myself. I mean, whatever, you know, I did like, I, like we said earlier, you do what you do with the information you have at the time, but that was a dumb thing to do. And it, it didn't mean anything to anybody except the boss who was like, well, I can make her jump. You know, I can get her to do what I need right. her to do. To all you new moms out there who are not listening to a show called midlife mixtape, just <laughs> make your priorities, follow your gut instinct. You're right. You're right. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. People, people can do, especially in work context, people can do without you so much easier than you like to think they can. So that's it. Just Nancy, stay at family camp. Don't miss the square dance. Yeah. Don't skip your vacation. This has been fun taking over your podcast. Thank you for doing it so masterfully. (laughs) It's fun. (laughs) It's fun. Well, good luck with everything. All right. Thanks. I, I feel very honored to have you grab the mic on this because you are such a great interviewer and thank you very much for giving me the Mary Laura Philpot treatment. <laughs> Happy to. Happy to. Have fun. All right. Talk to you later. Mm-hmm.
Okay, I mentioned at the top of this episode that there is a special announcement, and that is that this is the last Midlife Mixtape podcast for the next little while. I love this podcast from deciding who to interview, to doing the actual interview, to the editing and production, and even finding sponsors to cover the costs of making the show. I actually enjoy every bit of it. But I also love my sanity. And if you're not steeped in the world of publishing, you may not know that most publishers will support a new book for about 90 days after launch, and then it's on to the next big thing. So I want to make the most of the coming three months by doing lots of readings and appearances and interviews and essays. And there's the little matter of family and my day job, too. So I can't do all that and produce a quality podcast at the same time. So I am taking a little break from this show. But I promise I will be back. I have a whole file already full of names of kick-ass midlifers I'm planning to reach out to in 2020, but do this for me, please. Please make sure you don't miss an episode by hitting subscribe wherever you're listening right now. Stop for a second and do that, because otherwise you won't know when I come back. But if you subscribe, I'll pop up in your device one day like a caption from MTV pop-up videos, and maybe you'll be just as delighted and enlightened. I also thought of another way you could pass the time. You could leave a rating and a review of the Midlife Mixtape podcast where you listen to. It makes it so much easier for people to find the show. And there are 68 back episodes to catch up on. So maybe you've missed one. Go back and listen. Of course, if you think you're going to miss my voice, there's always the audio version of the Thank You Project that Mary Laura and I talked about. I found out after we recorded the interview that my audiobook is coming out on January 7th. I also found out that I've been mispronouncing Machu Picchu. Low these many years. It's not Pichu. That's what I've been saying. It's Pichu. And I had to go back into the studio to re-record that and a couple of other flubs. The more you know. Anyway, this isn't goodbye. Let's just see you soon. And I guess I could say talk at you soon. It's more accurate. And we can stay in touch. You can always email me at dj at midlifemixtape.com. You can find me on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter at midlifemixtape. And if you head over to davisco.com, check out the events and appearances page, and maybe we can meet up in person. I want to thank all of you for the support and encouragement for both the Midlife Mixtape podcast and now for my debut book, The Thank You Project. I may be the world's oldest debut author, but hey, I can tell you it was worth the wait. All right, I'll catch you on the flip side. I wanna be, I wanna be free 